Acts chapter 20 this morning. Also, I forgot to get with Sean. Senior Saints will be canceled this week. I will be out of town. I'm leaving Wednesday to preach a, a missions conference up in Fairbanks. I won't get back till next, next uh, actually late Sunday night is when I'll get back in town. Acts chapter 20. Verse number 17. Again, we're coming to the conclusion of Paul's third missionary journey. He's actually in the middle of traveling to get, it, to get back to Jerusalem. Verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. When they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia... After what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save the Holy Ghost, witness, witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, certainly love you. I thank you for your word. And Lord, I ask your blessing now upon the service. Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified and honored in all that is said and done. Lord, help me to stay true to your word. May your spirit have free course, Lord, and, and work on our hearts. Again, draw us closer to you. I do pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted. Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing. Lord, that even this morning they repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Again, Lord, certainly love you, and I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Of course, Paul, as I said, is on his way back to Jerusalem, completing his third missionary journey. Remember when this trip started, it started off basically in Ephesus. He had finished his second missionary journey there. It was there just a very short time, and he returned right to it. Of the three missionary journeys, Ephesus was by far the place he spent the most amount of time. Looking about two and a half years that he stayed there. During that time, we're seeing a man that just taught for hours and hours each day, preaching and teaching, establishing an incredibly strong church there in Ephesus. Even, even a church that during that time was going about and establishing different churches there in Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. Establishing those, the, the other churches that we see in the book of Revelation. This was a... This was a place that Paul, uh, like, like all the places he went to, but there seemed to be a special connection due to the amount of time that he stayed at Ephesus, a place that he loved. Paul, when he lands at Miletus, he has a couple of days before the boat takes off towards Jerusalem, towards that coast. And so within this couple of days, again, he doesn't rest. He always uses time wisely. He's about 30 miles from Ephesus, so he sends for the elders, the leadership in the church. He asks them to come down. 
the elders come and this discourse begins. You can imagine from the time they arrived, this is going to be somewhat emotional. Again, he spent two and a half years there. When he showed up in Ephesus, there might have been just maybe, perhaps, a few scattering of Christians. But now a church has grown and it's strong. It's establishing other churches. Here they come to meet Paul and they know they just have a couple of days with him. It would be an emotional reunion. No doubt glad to see him. So glad that they had once again this, this short time to spend with him. Realizing uh, the mission that he has, knowing they know full well that they might not ever see him again. It's likely that since these are the men of leadership from what has been going on in Asia Minor, that Paul has spent more time with them than anyone else. They knew Paul. They watched Paul, as he even tells them in the text. You knew what manner of man I was. You saw me. You witnessed it. When we look at this discourse, really going through the end of the chapter, you see he deals with the past, the present, and the future. But I'm not going to quite take it from that angle, because I think there's just too important of a point in verses 17 through 24, and I want to focus more on that. I want you to see something that I, that I truly believe can change your Christian life. And how you serve Christ. Look at verse 24 of our text. Paul said this, But none of these things move me, knowing he would suffer, knowing what was coming. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. It wasn't that he was fatalistic. Well, I don't care about life anymore. I don't care what happens to me. Well, it had nothing to do with that. He, he had one primary goal, and that was to finish his course, to finish what God gave him to do. He knew his life was about glorifying God. He said, listen, that's what I'm going to finish. Come what may, but that's what I'm going to finish. <clears throat> he knew the key to finishing life with joy was finishing God's will. But the question is, how do we get there? I mean, Paul looked at his life as a competitor, that like he was in a race. He does it here, he does it in several places in Scripture. He looked at it as, as this race that he wanted to finish. He wanted to finish in such a way that the Lord God was pleased with him, that he would hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. He wanted to finish what God gave him to do. How do we get there? How do we get there? I mean, our hope, I would imagine for all of us, would be to finish our life with joy. It's sad when the last months or years or weeks of a person's life are simply filled with reflection of a life that has been wasted. When they look back thinking, what does it all matter what I've done? What did I really accomplish in life? Because as that day approaches, you begin to realize with more clarity that only what's done for the Lord is what matters. If you want to finish this life with joy, as we're going to see, the key is making your life whatever, wherever the Lord has you. Making your life about God. Determine, I will finish what God has given me to do. And the truth is, if a Christian does not accomplish what God has given him to do, does not finish his course, it's never a question of shortage of time. 
It's not. As Paul said on two or three occasions, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Notice, it's a definite article there. He doesn't say redeeming time. He says redeeming the time. The sovereign God has set in your possession an amount of time that you are responsible for. That amount of time that you have to use wisely. That amount of time that you are given to finish your course. To see how precious the time that you have is. In the verse, and I'll get to this even near the end of the message, we see Paul didn't care about the threats against him, the trials, the hardships. He focused on finishing his course with joy. There's a principle here that I'm not going to get into, but I do want to bring it up. Once again, you see true joy is not based on circumstances. Paul's dealing with suffering and trials, and he says, I'm going to finish it. Even if it means that, this is how I will finish life with joy. True joy is not based on circumstances. It's always based on God. He knows what he's going to have to endure, or possibly endure, when he goes to Jerusalem. He knows it could involve great suffering and even his death. Yet he is determined. He says, listen, I know what might befall me, yet this is what I'm doing. By the way, if you take this message in context, there's always a debate whether Paul was leaving the will of God by going on this trip. He in no way was. Joy is based on you finishing what God has given you to do. From this text, we see six character traits in Paul's life that led to him or put him in a position to be able to finish his race with joy. You see, the way that we succeed in life as a Christian, whatever field you are in, is never based on a method. There's so many books on this method of success and this method of success, and if you'll do this, even within churches... It's never based on a method when it comes to the Lord. It's always based on character. Let me give the six things and then we'll jump into this. If you want to write them down, you're going to have to write quick right now because there's six of them. Motive, mind, matter, might, message, and martyr. So let's jump into these. The first one being his motive. Motive is so important. Verse 19, the first three words. Notice what the guy was living for. Serving the Lord. That's what it was about from the Lord Jesus Christ. It was really was all about God. This, these simple words show us his motive in life. He was not living for his name. He was not living for money. He was not living for the easy life. He was living for the Lord. He didn't live to please people. He didn't, that, that wasn't what his motive was. He said, who I am a servant to, who I will serve is God. That's what my life will be about. Listen, this simple principle here can help change your life. I mean, think about that. Let me look at it in two areas. Let's even say you're in ministry. Let's say you're a Sunday school teacher or nursery or, or cleaning the church. But you're a Sunday school teacher and you come in and you have all those kids that are in your classroom or those teenagers or, or those adults that you're going to be presenting God's truth to. What you have to make that about isn't even those children. 
isn't those teenagers. You have to make it about the Lord. Of your responsibility before God. As if the Lord is in that classroom. As if He is present when you're teaching His Word. Because you're serving Him. You make it about the Lord. This applies to your work. When you go to work tomorrow, whatever field you're in, you make it about the Lord. You make it as if, because there's a truth to it. It's, it's not imaginary. You make it as if who your immediate supervisor is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. That'll change how you work. As if He is the one that you're working for, because it is. Mom, when you're teaching your children at home, guess who the principal is right there? The Lord Jesus Christ. Be responsible then with your kids. You have the Lord Jesus Christ right there, who's the principal of that school, in whom He has entrusted to you their lives. It's about serving the Lord. Decide to live for the Lord in all that you do. Or as the Bible says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Let me quote from one commentator. Again, I like his words much better than mine on this verse. From the moment you open your eyes in the morning till you close them at night and go to sleep is about service to Jesus Christ. There is no secular and sacred division. The secular belongs to the unsaved and the carnal. Everything is service to Christ for the Christian. Everything is rendered to Him. Whether it's the operation of your spiritual gift, whether it's punching the clock at your job, it's all the same. And the things that you do in this life are rendered unto Christ. We've done such a great disservice within churches in separating those two. Of secular and sacred. When you realize, no, I don't, I don't care what position you're in. Your life is about serving the Lord. With whatever you do. But we make it so much about us. And then you can just think, imagine all the complications then that come from that. Whether pride gets in the way. Whether we start trying to manipulate circumstances. Whatever it is. You can't say, well, I'm not ministry, I'm just an office worker. No, we're all servants of the Lord. It doesn't matter. Because I'm a pastor uh, and you're an office worker, it doesn't, it, there is no less of, uh, of the position of serving the Lord. And by the way, that will change your approach how you work. It will. If when you go in there and you realize, wait a second, my actual boss is the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, I think those that are, uh, are the physical supervisors that you do have, they would notice a difference in how you work. You make it about God. You make it about the Lord and what you do. Just like whether it even is in pastoring, when it comes to preaching, you make sure that it's pleasing on the Lord, being more concerned with what He thinks of my message than what you think of it. I would like to know that up in heaven when I finish preaching that the Lord says, you know what, well done. And then if Jerry doesn't like it, I don't care. Number two, we see his mind. 
We see his motive was serving the Lord, but look at this, with all humility of mind. Boy, is this important for success. If you're going to be able to actually glorify God and finish your course, it will never happen without humility. You will get in the way every single time. Paul saw himself as a servant, but more importantly, listen, he had the mind of a servant. It's one thing to simply know you're a servant. It's something else to have the spirit of a servant. I mean, you have plenty of employees who are complainers. They see only the problems. They're cantankerous. They're rebellious. They're in the position of employee. They're in the position of a servant. But they don't have the mind of a servant. The humility is absent. It might not even be their company, but they know how it should be run. Because too often, because humility isn't present, you know what? Life's all about them. What they think matters. You see, Paul wasn't just a servant. He had the spirit of it. He had, he had a mind of humility. He had genuine humility. His ministry was never about him. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I like his, his wording here. It shows such humility. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. He believed that. He, he knew that, with, listen, without the grace of God, without the strength of God, I am nothing. He understood that principle. The Lord looks for those who truly sees that if not for the grace of God, not for Him, I, I am nothing. Paul had a mind of humility. Listen, you think of all the texts from Old Testament, New Testament, stresses the importance of genuine humility in your life. So that you can be in a place that God can use you of dependence upon Him. Not all of a sudden starting off that way, but with a lack of humility, you taking over. You determine, okay, I got this. Paul had a mind of humility. His motive was about serving the Lord. Look what else we see in verse 19, number 3. And with many tears. I put this M down as what matters. Matters. What concerned him? What broke him? What brought tears to his eyes? What had his heart? What moved him? We see here Paul had tears. Something was moving him. Something that concerned him, that mattered to him. This often reveals characters to what it is that moves you. What mattered and moved him to tears, notice, was not offenses or concerns with self. The guy's not weeping because he might actually be martyred. Not at all. 
I mean, there are multitudes that were actually doing wrong to Paul, including those we're talking, and I'm talking those who had been converted, many of those even in leadership position in the churches that Paul himself established. We know from Philippians chapter 1 how, uh, how there were a group of those that were actually, um, when Paul, this is later on in ministry, not at this time, this is going to be, uh, and what, 10 years down the road, maybe not quite that long, when Paul's in a Roman imprisonment, and, and others were actually belittling Paul so they could look good. And it was brought up to Paul that this is taking place, and he wrote back to the church of Philippi, he said, you know what, I'm not worried about that. As long as they preach Christ. He said, they veer from preaching Christ, i got a problem. But right now, I'm not worried about my name. Paul's tears are not due to offenses against himself. What concerned him and moved him to tears was God's glory in accomplishing his will. When something was impeding this, he was moved to tears. We see this in the Word of God. We see this in Romans chapter 9 that Paul wept for those who did not know Christ. In the context of Romans 9, verses 1, 2, and 3, he's, he's referring to his own countrymen even. How he was broken over the fact of their, of their blindness to the truth of the gospel and who the Lord Jesus Christ actually is. What moved him was those who were lost apart from the truth of the gospel moved him to tears. We know from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, also what moved him to tears was struggling, immature, carnal Christians. Those who weren't growing as they should. Those he knew that had a measure of truth, but staying in, a, in this immaturity, failing to glorify God with their life. That moved him to tears. We also see later on in this chapter, in Acts chapter 20, he's going to get more specific about his tears. And that was the threat of false teachers. The threat of those who were saved. The threat of, uh, of the churches going off course. The threat of the church, churches all of a sudden teaching false doctrine because of those wolves who have come in. That thought moved him to tears. I wonder why each one of those impedes God's glory. That's what he was obsessed with. All those dealt with him finishing his course. So let me ask you a question. What is it that moves you? That, would, that matters? That grabs your heart? If you examine that and there's problems, listen. That comes to another issue of borderline idolatry. The truth is, without this one in place, this is important, you will, this will never take place in your life. You will never serve the Lord with passion. Because the heart's not there. You might serve out of duty. You, you might serve because, okay, I know this is right, but it will lack the passion that it needs. We even sang this this morning, it's in my text, about Psalm 126. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again rejoicing. There's something about that compassion of heart, of what has your heart, of what moves you. Again, when it's connected to your heart, it affects your intellect. It's going to, it's going to cause you to serve with a measure of passion. 
No doubt, the leaders at Ephesus, time and time again, they saw the tears of Paul. It's not just this day. So we see Paul's motive was all about serving the Lord. We see the mind that he had, it was one of humility. We see what really mattered to Paul, what had his heart with those tears. And then we see his might. He says, as he finishes verse 19, and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. He says how he faced many temptations from the Jews. This is not dealing with temptation as to sin. But the dangers that he faced, the trials that he faced, those who were actively seeking to kill him. I mean, think about that. Paul had a a very organized, a very structured group that he used to lead. He knows how structured it is. He knows their capabilities better than anybody. He had this organized, structured group with with a purpose to take his life. And he knew it. By the way, he's getting ready to go to their headquarters. Jerusalem. They were actively seeking to kill him. As a matter of fact, what, ironically, a, a, a reason that he's able to hold this meeting with the leaders of Ephesus is because of a plot that was to kill him. Remember when he's going to read Corinth, he was getting ready to head out there and go straight to Jerusalem to try and get there by the Passover. But a plot was discovered that once he got on the boat, they were going to take his life. So he delayed. He went up to Philippi, held the Passover up there. So it delayed him this, this almost 50 days, and now he's heading back. Paul, throughout his ministry, faced many walls, many obstacles, many dangers. Multitudes would have quit and said, well, war's not in this. Paul had a measure of might, of spiritual and emotional strength that is given to him by the Holy Spirit of God. He didn't quit, he endured. If we're going to be successful and be able to finish our course with joy, you're going to have to have a measure of endurance. Because what too often what happens is we face obstacles and we face trials and, and we're done. At that moment, what you're living for now becomes vanity. He stayed focused on the goal. He kept his mind, as we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, off all the circumstances and just focused on God. Listen, if he didn't do that, he would have quit due to all the trials. I mean, I don't know of another Christian. There, there might be one when we find out when we get to heaven, but I don't know of another Christian that faced more obstacles, trials, struggles than the Apostle Paul in his Christian life. He endured. He understood where the value was. He understood what the real treasure was. He understood it was about glorifying God. The truth is, when we follow God's will, it will always be met with some resistance. If you have the mindset it should just be easy, oh, you're approaching this so wrong. In order to finish our course with joy, we're going to need some spiritual might. 
be willing to endure. Number five, look at verse 20 and 21, his message. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was a man, as we're going to see here, stayed faithful to the Word of God. He breaks it up in two areas. His message to those who were saved and his message to the lost. To those who were saved, he said, listen, I held back nothing that was profitable unto you. Nothing. So what's he talking about there? Well, let's, let's, let's think about this. What is profitable? 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. He's going to get more specific about that later on in this discourse. He stayed true to the Word of God. He spent his time. We, we, we went over the hours he would spend in Ephesus teaching and preaching. He started off, of course, it was publicly in the synagogue and in the school of Tyrannus and how, how all the hours that he put into that every single day, getting them into the Word of God. Teaching and preaching, teaching and preaching, getting them grounded, getting them established. This wasn't a modern-day worship fest. It wasn't. It wasn't a feel-good come-together. So listen, he knew you need to know God. He wasn't about providing a little concert. You can, you can just dwell on all your little trials in and, and the valley, but God is there. No. It was about knowing God. It was about being able to leave there with more knowledge, with the desire to glorify Him, knowing how to go about that. He held nothing back that was profitable. He knew what they needed. They didn't need life stories from Paul. They needed to know God. He kept back nothing. Nor did he allow fear of what someone might think of what he was teaching or preaching change the direction he went. Publicly, even privately, from house to house. We're not dealing with visitation right here. Paul was reinforcing what was, what was taught. This man didn't stop. He knew the importance of it, of trying to get them grounded. Paul lived, I'm going to quote from, from Stott here, what he wrote. <clears throat> he said, he was in, referencing the life of the Apostle Paul. The less the preacher comes between the word and the hearers, the better. What really feeds the household is the food which the householder supplies. That's God. Not the steward who dispenses it. The Christian preacher is best satisfied when his person is eclipsed by the light which shines from the Scripture and when his voice is drowned out by the voice of God. Paul did just that. He knew what was profitable. He wasn't building a name for himself in his ministry. He always made it about God and His Word. But then we see His message toward the lost in verse 21. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Here was His message to the lost. He stayed true to the gospel. He stayed true to a complete gospel. Not watering it down. Not changing it. He wasn't living for great big numbers and to see how many people he can get to say certain words. He stayed true to the truth of the gospel. 
Repentance is often attacked or improperly defined to fit one's particular view. The word menatoa simply means a change in mind which leads to a change in action. It means to be thinking uh, 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 in one direction, but then uh, whether knowledge is imparted, something occurs, and that change of mind goes to a 180. Not a 10 degrees. Well, maybe. No. It can involve the emotions. When you realize how wrong you were, having an effect on you emotionally. It involves the will where a decision is made to turn and go the other direction. Repentance is not remorse. Remorse is simply you're sorry you got caught. Repentance is sorry that I've done this. See, it is that repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ of understanding, of, of they all knew Paul's message of what he preached about Christ. We're looking at that in the book of Romans, how all that Christ did, how he became sin for us, how, how we are justified by faith alone in Christ. That that is the answer. It's not in baptism. It's not in church membership. It, it's, it's not in anything you do. It is you seeing that you're going to be judged of a holy and righteous God. But knowing what Christ did to save you when he took your place in judgment on that cross, defeating death and rising again from the dead. And that person who will turn from whatever they're trusting and change their mind about God, their, their, their position and their condemnation and, and their sin, to place their faith solely in Christ, God will save them. Listen, and we all have that same responsibility that the lost need to hear a clear presentation of the gospel. This was written, was it by Baxter, in, in 1656. He was talking about when presenting the gospel. 1656. I marvel how I can preach slightly and coldly. How I can let men alone in their sins, that I do not go to them and beseech them for the Lord's sake to repent. However they take it, and whatever pains or trouble it should cost me, I seldom come out of the pulpit, but my conscience smites me that I have been no more serious and fervent than I have. It accuses me, not so much for want of human ornaments or elegance, not for letting uh, fall an uncomely word, but it asks me, how could you speak of life and death with such a heart? Shouldest thou not weep over such a people? And shouldest not thy tears interrupt thy words? Should not thou, thou cry aloud and show them their transgressions and entreat and beseech them as for life and death? We have the message. And I assure you, finishing your course... Having the right message is key. May we present that message with passion. And lastly, verse 22 through 24, martyr. He says this, And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save the Holy Ghost, witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. 
But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify uh, the gospel of the grace of God. Paul goes on to tell them, listen, this very well might be the last time that you see me. I know when I go to Jerusalem that I am, I am putting myself in great danger by making this decision. He even got, when we get into the next chapter, it's going to get even more specific about what he's facing through our prophecy, that he would indeed be bound. But at this place, Paul says, I am bound in my spirit to go. He knows this is what I need to do. This is what the Lord wants. He was determined. He was set. This is, if I'm going to finish my course, what God has given me to do, this is it. You can see the boldness to, the, to his, his drive to want to glorify God above all else. He did not put self-preservation above his goal. Too often, self-preservation is our goal. How many people just live for that? I, I, I mean, they just live to pamper themselves, thinking, okay, I'm just going to live as long as I can. I'm going to pamper myself. You're going to die. That's what's going to happen to you. You are so much better just to get obsessed with the will of God and, 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 and trust Him in His sovereignty. Follow Him. I personally, think about this. We know Paul was collecting an offering. He has it now. It's with him. He has representations, which is just amazing to me, went through that, from all the areas of churches that have been established, from these Gentile churches, if you will. And there was only one church, but he knew the importance of going to Jerusalem from these churches with this offering. And again, it would be substantial. He wants to go back because of the suffering that's taking place. Why are they suffering? The persecution. Who started it? Paul. Do you know when he goes back there how much he wants to be helped to some of the widows that he led to? To the families he was responsible for breaking up? Oh, I think that's on his mind. I think it burdened him. That's why he says later on, I am the chiefest of sinners. I mean, I was fighting God. I think, when he, I think that's part of the bound in the spirit. I want to be a help. Paul was willing, as he states here, even to be martyred for the cause of Christ. And so he, the mindset here is, is a person who is willing to say, listen, I will not put my self-preservation above the will of God. Of trust in his sovereignty. And we all know how this is all going to work out. He knew God was in control. He actually will end up, we have, it's, it's likely, we're not completely certain, but it's very likely based on the end of the book of Romans, that he, 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 he and, and one other place as well, that he will end up back here. That they will see him again. But he didn't know what was going to take place at this point in time. And that's his point. He doesn't know. He just knows it's possible. In other words, if finishing his course meant suffering, so be it. So be it. If serving the Lord means some less time sleeping, so be it. Make it about him. If you have to change some things in life, so be it. Make it about him. Be willing to actually die to self. 
we are taught to make life about self in so many different ways. Again, Paul's words here in showing willing to be martyred, it just simply shows his faith in God's sovereignty. Paul is not, is not desiring to be martyred. Do you understand that? He's not desiring to go through suffering. What he's saying is this, if finishing my course with joy, which means finishing what God has given him to do, if it involves that, so be it. He trusted in God's divine protection. And if the Lord chose to allow suffering, so be it. And if of all of the Lord's servants since the, since the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, well, Peter would be included in this as well, Paul knew directly from the Lord, you're going to suffer. He must suffer many things for my namesake. He knew it. He knew it would come. That's why he's not, one of, the, one of the motives, he's not going to let it change his course. He says, listen, I will make my life all about God. It will be about him. So this is a man now that's, and we're going to see, I'm not going to, well, I could turn there. I'm not going to for time's sake. But in, in 2 Timothy, when he finishes up, you know what he says? He's getting ready to be executed. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He finished with joy. Want to know why? His motive was right. He kept the right mindset. He stayed humble. He stayed, even thanking the Lord for a thorn in the flesh, that the Lord made sure he maintained that mindset because of the abundance of revelation that was given him. The man was flesh just like you or I. He had the ability to allow pride to come in. But boy, he kept that in place. He had what mattered most, what moved his heart to tears. The glory of God. When that was impeded, he allowed the right thing to possess his heart. He was willing to endure. He had some spiritual might about him. He stayed with the right message that he knew was crucial for God to be glorified. And even willing for martyrdom, for suffering to take place, if that was God's will for his life. So, let's bring this full circle. That is how you finish life. You make it about Him. With heads bowed and eyes closed.